Hello, everybody, and welcome to NGF News. Uh, We're going to be talking our topic of the week right now, and our topic of the week is the United States uh, losing its reliance on China. And so this is pretty interesting. In recent developments, the United States has been really trying to work with the Chinese, Blinken's visit and Janet Yellen's visit, Yellen's visit to uh, talk to Chinese ministers, uh, foreign minister, and also their finance minister. But also, at the same time, the United States is looking to strengthen its relationship with Eastern Asia, ASEAN, and the Pacific. There's a lot of different things going on, and possibly China, the United States is looking to, you know, lose its reliance with the Chinese. Um, the way you worded it, lose reliance, I, I'm thinking more of, like, that interdependence starting to, yeah. it's the beginning towards the end. Because I think the United States has sees China no longer as a uh, reliable economic partner. So they're looking to countries like Mexico, uh, as you said, ASEAN countries. So I think it's the United uh, States shift in uh, their kind of portfolio and how, they, how they're managing um, their imports and exports. Um, I just want to start off by saying that Mexico has become the United States' top trading partner with 200 and 75 billion in trade during the first seven months of 2023, which is 15.4% of the total U.S. trade, with China being at only 12% in these seven months. So this is this is pretty big news because China has been one of our biggest trading partners for God knows how long, and for Mexico to to overtake them is is big. And this is because of things like. A enhanced USMCA deal that was replaced by NAFTA, and also um, a trend, a kind of global trend um, called nearshoring, where um, countries are looking to local regional partners and companies are looking more closer uh, rather than outwards um, to try to find supply chains that are more reliable. And reliability comes from your partners that are close because everything costs uh, cheaper when you have. Um, access to supply chains that are close to close to home so uh this is big this is very big yeah it's very big and and president biden just recently hosted a conference of the pacific island nations uh 12 of the 14 that were there last year at the white house um came uh, a couple of countries like the solomon islands the prime minister did not come because of his reliance to the chinese and, and particularly he might have a higher allegiance to the Chinese than the United States. But this is a direction in which the United States is looking. They're looking outwards. And there's 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 two reasons for it. Reason number one is because they don't want to be, like we're discussing in this uh, topic of the week, is the interdependence with China. There is such an interdependence right now with the Chinese government and what they do uh, with the Chinese economy. And, and that's not what the United States wants. The United States wants to become the, the leader in everything and not have to be dependent on anybody. But the other reason is also to just have China lose friends. They want to gain partners that they're going to show that the United States is better in all aspects than the Chinese. What you're going to get in terms of infrastructure, what you're going to get in terms of trade, in political partners, in terms of security. A lot of countries in Eastern Asia are afraid right now of Chinese aggression, especially towards Taiwan, and they don't want to see a war. And this summit shows exactly the United States' new strategy. You know, instead of going towards the old Soviet strategy of containment, they're they're just getting rid of that. And they're just like, all right, 
how can we make friends with everybody and anybody so that the Chinese almost become isolated? Uh, that's a fantastic way of putting it. Um, the United States is is looking to have a multi-diverse kind of portfolio in which they they get supplies and they get imports from different countries because having just one main partner is unreliable. And that w having just one partner and kind of um, having s small multiple partners that play a small role or kind of a small portion in your imports kind of raises costs back home. So when you have when you're outsourcing things from multiple multiple partners, you're bringing your costs down and you're finding ways to say, well, okay, so country A can bring in I can bring in something cheaper from country A. I can bring in something cheaper from country B versus solely relying everything on on China and bringing everything in from China and vice versa. China gets from the United States. The United States doesn't want that anymore. It's just not it's just not economic. Um, uh, the United States wants things to be cheaper, and the best way is to Mexico because of how, how cheap we can bring it in uh, because the transportation costs are very low. So yeah. um, is China going to be off on our uh, kind of portfolio? No, I, not not for a while, no. We're still going to be trading with the Chinese, but not in the volumes that, that we used to. Uh, yeah. The trade between Mexico and the United States is going to remain strong and is going to be continue growing. And I think it's going to continue grow. Um, it is going to continue in this path where Mexico is first and China will be second or third. Yeah. And, and to be honest, even second and third might be a little high for the Chinese in the, in the future, in the next 10 to 15 years, because what the United States is trying to become again is the world leader, uh, like I said before. And as a world leader, you have to diversify. So who's going to say that they don't go to Africa? And they're like, hey, there's natural resources everywhere on your continent. They make deals with the African Union for new trade in terms of, you know, we give you this, we get oil or diamonds or any natural minerals that they have, like cobalt that can be for uh, that are on your computers and, and, and systems. So they're going to look to them. They're also going to look to try to create uh, more deals with the EU. Uh, believe it or not, there are no major in terms of on the book trade deals now they trade but there are no trade deals with the eu between the eu and the united states that is something that the biden administration could look to in the future um i'm not saying his administration technically is looking into the future but if this is the policy that we're seeing where the biden administration and the united states are trying to go outwards from china the eu is a great place to look and then latin america of course and the middle east don't forget about them. There's a lot of oil. There's a lot of natural um, resources that are in the Middle East and Latin America. And the United States wants to focus as well on making friends in their backyard, which includes Central South America and the Caribbean. And I think the Biden administration's policies so far have been very good. And then the next point that the United States needs to go for is Latin America in order to prove because that's where China's going. China wants to, you know, wants to control their backyard, so we go there, but they want to control our backyard. So we have to do both. We have to make friends in our backyard and also in theirs. And I think this is the direction in which the United States is heading. I think they're going to be starting from Mexico and they're going to keep going south until they reach 
Latin American partners, it is in the United States' interest to deal with the cartels, cartel issue as well, especially in Mexico, where, where cartel problems are still prevalent. Um, in the United States, in order to protect this trade, they need to do something about the cartel first uh, and foremost. And then with that, they can use it as a bargaining chip to say, listen, we've dealt with the cartel issue. We work with uh, Mexico. And we would it probably be best for us to work together. I mean, look at what the Chinese are doing. It's your own country. I want to go back on the EU point you were talking about. And um, the United States and the EU, the most amount of trade disputes is between those two countries. And if the United States and EU, <laughs> yeah, the, if the United States and the EU want to engage in fair and fair economic practices, the best way is to sit down and listen. Uh, to sit down and say, listen, we we we. We kind of go at each other's necks a lot. Here's what we can do and lay out some guidelines for best practices. Because if you look it up, if you go to the World Trade Organization's website and you look up trade disputes, there are thousands of trade disputes between the United States and the European Union. All over, it could be over the smallest things. They'll, they'll go over at each other's necks for like things like uh, straws or whatever it is. It's, 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 very, it's very kind of sensitive. The, the, the trade relationship between the U.S. and the EU. And the U.S. is is also great at looking more into other Asian countries as well. Like you said, ASEAN and recently Vietnam with their recent um, uh, strengthening of economic ties and wanting, uh, well, Vietnam wants to look to reduce reliance on China, but also kind of balance that relationship between the United States, China, and Russia as well. Um, but overall, Vietnam is seeming to kind of lay on the United States' back and say, listen, we want we want to work something out uh, with you all. Yeah, and I think this is the direction that it's proving correct and, and proving that the U.S. is doing the right thing is that Vietnam reached out to us. That's great. And, and the fact is, is that the United States is moving in that direction that we want to be friends. We want to help everybody become prosper. And that is what the United States historically, post-World War II, has done. And that's exactly the path the United States should continue on. Uh, I mean, to go back to the EU just for a quick second, I mean, the one thing about competition is that competition is great, but the EU is so worried about losing out to the United States is that uh, there was the green, the green tech deal where they're worried that the United States is going to, because of the Chips and Science Act, out. Uh, play them in terms of selling green tech. And so that's where they have to look at each other and say, what can we offer each other and be better? And I think that was a great point. But the United States is also not looking out, just looking outwards. It's looking inwards too. Recently, Wall Street, a couple of big firms on Wall Street, I read this on a Bloomberg article, are working with the federal government to come up with over $100 billion in funds to help startups become the largest and become the largest chip maker in the world again. The United States used to be the largest semiconductor uh, maker in the world, and now we've gone back and we're, I don't even think, top five in terms of what, there's China, there's Taiwan, uh, there's Indonesia, and there's a few others. So the United States is looking to come back to that, that, that playing field and be the number one. So we're not even just looking abroad. We're, we're looking inwards and how can we, use our resources to become unreliant on China and take the interdependency away. And I think that's a great a great look as well. 
Yeah, they're looking both inwards and outwards at the same time. They're looking at what they need. And instead of trying to overly focus on where I can find it within my borders, they're, they are trying to say, I need to look. If I need, if I'm going to improve inwards, I need to improve outwards. And this is this is the fantastic viewpoint. And going to the semiconductors thing, they're trying to outsource uh, semiconductor kind of uh, need, uh, semiconductor uh, pieces uh, outwards. So Mexico is a big uh, place to get raw materials to build our semiconductors, as as well as um, uh, Vietnam recently with their semiconductor deal. I, uh, they want to invest 1.5 billion. Uh, in Vietnam for chip production. So the United States is improving itself by looking out, which is going to have a benefit, uh, a kind of like a double benefit. They're, they're, they're tackling two things at once, improving their image abroad as an economic partner and not like a, a security or military partner, which, I mean, they kind of still are because uh, recently in a Reuters exclusive, I read that um, that they are preparing to sell, uh, well, they, they're looking at a deal um, to sell F-16s to Vietnam uh, as protection from the South China Sea. So um, that article on Reuters is fantastic. I want uh, people should should read that article uh, Reuters exclusive. Uh, but it's it's inter it's interesting because they're they're extending as an economic partner, but they're also extending as a as a security kind of component as well, which I understand because of the advances in the south china sea and how china is getting aggressive which is exactly why the united states doesn't see china as a partner and it also makes the united states' image look bad because now they're partnering they have a partner who's becoming unreliable in the south china sea who's not adhering um to international laws and the united states is the united states can't afford this and plus it internally china as well i mean look at the real estate market is collapsing uh people are protesting well, the people I want to protest are upset with Xi Jinping. So, and it's in China. Every day is becoming much more authoritarian and much more, much more dictator-like. So, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a it's a sad sight to see um, because what China had become for such a long time. The United States has stepped on the Chinese toes a lot, um, and China kind of let it happen a lot. That we 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 said we were sorry, and the Chinese were like, "It's okay." But Xi Jinping came into the office. That 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 thing changed. The, all of a sudden, it was like the United States is always at fault. We should not be apologizing. We should be working against to create and further Chinese goals. And you know, to go back to what you were saying in terms of what they're offering militarily uh, to the the South, uh, the the Pacific Island uh, nations, they're offering 812 million dollars to those countries in infrastructure. And a lot of that's going to go to internet cables that are going to be able to travel under the sea for those cables that are going to be going under the sea and so that is interesting because what that would indicate is united states military bases that could be put out into the pacific to allow for better trans uh, uh transnational communication between partners everywhere and also military bases and also just to help out with infrastructure in terms of the pacific and have them being able to communicate with partners across uh, the world in terms of economic trade. So the United States is really just shoveling out money at the moment to improve communication and infrastructure and, and military capabilities along with economic trade deals. Yep, of course. And I think that there's some concern that the United States might be looking to ours. 
and uh, to inwards. And I want to I want to say that the the only way to kind of protect ourselves from the inside and protect our markets, um, but also have a, have a good balance between protecting our domestic industry and also importing a lot of things. I think there needs to be that good balance because we still have the domestic industry and we still have our, our own businesses inside of the United States. So I think the U.S. should just be very careful in how much we're taking from out. But again, most of what the United States is doing is they're looking for partners where they can collect materials, bring it back into the U.S. and then kind of um, set up shop in countries where manufacturing is cheap. Um, I think I read something where um, Mexico uh, took manufacturing wages cost for uh, is 480 per month compared to china which is 840 per month mm-hmm. so the what the united states is doing is they're taking in they're buying the materials and they're paying uh mexico or mexican manufacturing companies to to build everything because of the cheap um because of the cheap labor and it's it's an it's an iffy thing because it we're we're underpaying some of these workers on in outside of the United States, but it's it's also coming to a benefit. It's, it's kind of someone else's loss, someone else's gain type situation. So, but it, manufacturing in China has gone up significantly. I mean, eight hundred forty per month. Plus, now you have to include shipping shipping costs and all the other costs to bring it to bring in the product from from manufacturing to up until the point of where it's on a shelf yeah. ready to be sold. So, um, yeah, it, there's a, there's a lot going on. And this kind of brings me to the great segue to what I was going to ask as a question. What does China do now? And, and not, not as like, Oh, what should China do? But what are you looking at? What, what What's China going to do? Because they're going to start to feel a little isolated right now. India with the border dispute, the Russians are still fighting a war that they really don't want to be a part of. Xi Jinping is just like, what the heck's going on over there? Like, I, I don't know what Putin's doing. North Korea is well, North Korea at this point. <laughs> and, and the rest of the ASEAN and South Pacific countries in Africa, our African countries joined the G20. The entirety of the African Union just joined the G20. That's a big step in a direction never would have thought possible 10, 15 years ago. What does China do now? China is going to have a moment of reflection, and they're going to understand that Xi Jinping, the way he rules, uh, is part of the reason why there's been China's downfall. And was Xi Jinping will ever understand that, he's very how would I say, like nationalistic he's very like oh the united states is isolating me instead of looking and saying the reason i'm being isolated is because my my markets are going ham and i'm going and i'm pushing in the south china sea so he's he's shooting himself in the foot and what china is going to do is they're going to look for other trading partners um, and they're going to try to leverage BRICS as much as possible, and they're going to try to enhance their Belt and Road Initiative, and keep investing, even it, keep investing. And I think the best way, uh, their only option really now is to to see if they could land a deal, some sort of deal with Iran, if they could land some sort of deal in Latin America, see if they can have any remaining partners left in Africa. They they have limited options, so really their only thing is is BRICS. 
And bricks is the kind of the last resort. If they can't make bricks work and build up bricks to be a good kind of economic competitor um, in the rest of the world, then China's out of luck. Yeah. And, and that's a good point because one, one thing that bricks have made up of at the moment, and, and Venezuela might be one in the country that could see it as a prospect to come, but bricks is made up of nations that aren't part either A, weren't a part of anything, B, they were growing. The original five or original four were developing nations at a rapid rate. South Africa was the fifth one that joined. And now C, you have countries like Saudi Arabia and the UAE and Argentina who are specifically just really looking to have a competitive advantage in the world. I mean, Saudi Arabia was at the G20 conference. And they also are part of BRICS. And so this... They're, they're just looking to have a competitive advantage in both markets and understanding of both markets. What BRICS isn't and what it's not, I don't believe, going to be is a competition between the G20 and the, or, or, or the West and the rest of the world because the reality is, is that China is going to start losing partners and Russia is moving a lot, of, a lot of partners too. A lot of people are not really going to side with the Russian government at the moment. And, and what Putin is doing and the Chinese with India being having a border dispute are losing a big partner and the and the rest of Asia is like we're we're afraid. We are afraid of the Chinese at the moment because of their aggression in the South China Sea. So what China has basically is next to near isolation. The only reason people are investing in China is because they're you know, still the second largest economy with the best manufacturing uh, economy on the planet still. And if that all falls because of Xi Jinping's dictatorial government and the way he's having a grip and a communist view on his economy, I mean, he, he's taking control of all of the banks, of all companies at the moment. He wants to take full control. And if that continues, he's going to lose a lot of economic partners. Yeah, and I think countries in BRICS have to serve as the check on China. I think BRICS is going to be, you, you said that they won't be the competition, but I think it'll be healthy healthy competition. The competition that kind of promotes um, development both in G20, uh, Western countries, and BRICS. It's not going to be a type of thing where it's them versus they versus them type situation. It's going to be a thing where... Um, they're going to they're going to look at each other and say, "Listen, we we are competitors. We have different ideologies, but that doesn't mean that our economies have to be divided. We can still kind of have this economic interdependence, I want to say, or economic um, partnership. We don't have to have a political partnership, but we can have an economic partnership, still make deals or whatever it is. Because BRICS in themselves, and like you said, Saudi Arabia was was at uh was at the G20 and it's it's countries in in BRICS that still want to be a part of like the G20 conversation and the western conversation because they can't afford uh, BRICS can't grow unless it's a global effort. Mm-hmm. So and and China that wants to kind of put the pressure. I would say I wouldn't say attack, I would say put the pressure uh on western countries. They BRICS other BRICS countries have to look at China and say, "Listen, we can't we can't afford something like that because, as much as like our, our their ideologies are different, BRICS is going to sit down and say, 
they have money. They have the money. They are the only way. They are the only path forward. And uh, and look at and with G20 with African Union joining the G20, it's kind of like a wake up call saying, listen, that there's no longer like a a Western divide or like a, a divide between the global North, global South. Now you have the African Union, which is representing almost all African countries at an economic conference, which is absolutely fantastic. And I think uh, what I want to see in the future, and hopefully will happen, is BRICS uh, at the G20 table. Imagine what that would look like. That'd be that'd be amazing. Yeah. Um, and with with the deals that happen in the G20, I'm sure no no BRICS countries want to miss out on the next G20 uh, summit. We had all those infrastructure deals that are going to connect Europe, Middle East, and Asia. We're going and there's a bunch. I can't think of it off the top of my head, but there's a bunch. And BRICS BRICS should get a piece of that. For their own benefit, and also, it's kind of like I'll give you this, I'll give you that type situation. Yeah, and, and and that's a great point. I mean, being able to see a future where both BRICS and the G20 countries, who are a few are uh, like like Brazil and South Africa, uh, China, Russia, and India, whom are all a part of the G20 originally, who created BRICS, and then now the rest of them whom. Uh, observed a lot of them observed like the united arab emirates and uh, argentina and saudi arabia observed the g20 that them being able to sit at the table with two different economic agendas and come together to an understanding is going to be arguably the most important turning point in history in terms of economics will it happen in our lifetime uh i i don't know um i would say it could happen. There would have to be a lot of political changes with uh, Russia and China in particular, because India and Brazil are very, very open to those. I, I'm sure it would be very, very open to that. Um, but that that that's going to be difficult because Xi Jinping is he's not that old. There's a long. He's got a lot while that he can live. And and, and Putin, if Putin somehow wins this war in Ukraine, that's another case where there's a long time that could be. We can create a regime that can success him, um, and that that'll be a big problem in the future. But it's not impossible for them to sit down at the table in the next twenty years. What I think is going to happen is maybe these these next BRICS country these BRICS countries are just going to say going to tell Russia and China, listen, we still want a piece of G20. We can still be a partner. And of course, Russia and China are going to be furious, but they have India to back on. They have Brazil to back on. They these countries don't really have to answer to China or Russia. They never did. They never have. Never should. I mean, look at the United Arab Emirates. They they shouldn't or should. No, what? they never should. They never should. Yeah. Yeah, they never they never should. And I mean, look at the UAE for example, a self kind of built economy. They they built themselves. They use their oil money and they use that towards technological advancements. They don't really need. China or Russia, they just need reliable economic partners, and it's it's countries like these that should be going to the G20 conferences because it'll give them a benefit. And plus, if the UAE, for example, wants to promote kind of themselves as the economic hub, no better place to do it than the G20. And all these countries in BRICS are just going to say a big f you to, to China and Russia and say we're gonna we're gonna sit in on this, and then we'll report back with with information. So. That's uh, uh, BRICS countries don't don't need China or Russia if they want to not be a part of a globalizing world. Yeah, and I fully agree with that. They they should they should try to have their own autonomy. 
and, and try to like lose their reliance in, in interdependence uh, with the Chinese, and and that will do them the world of wonders. So for China, um, who knows what's next? China is definitely going to be they're, they're going to be struggling. Uh, I would say for the next year or two. Uh, I'm not sure where their economy is headed um, because of how well the the Chinese government kind of hides problems um, from spilling out uh, onto the world. But some say that China might enter a recession. Some say uh, China may may bounce back. Um, but the United States knows that this this is a possibility, and and they have to find they they're finding new partners. So should a Chinese recession happen, it might not be it, it won't affect the United States as much. It will affect those who are reliant on China. That's kind of part part of the reason why U.S. Chinese economic interdependence is the beginning towards the end because of it, God forbid that the United States was still very uh, a very strong uh, economic interdependent on China and a recession hit, it would hit both of us like a train. So yeah. uh, I'm glad the United States is um, diversifying our portfolio. So, and it's protecting us. And if, if the more we diversify our part, our portfolio, if one country doesn't do so well, we have multiple other countries to bank on. So Absolutely. I think we need to keep this up. Yeah, and you, you remember when we were discussing, you know, these topics nine months ago when we first started this podcast, we were like, the United States is not doing anything right. They're going to be so reliant on China and the Chinese are so far ahead. And now it's it's looking like the tables have turned in, in nine months, almost literally nine months to the day. It, it's crazy what can happen in such a short time. What the United States has done to change, what China is doing to, you know, hold further back, like they're, they're going backwards at the moment. And so, you know, a lot can change in nine months, and a lot can change in ten years. A lot can change next month. Not a lot can change tomorrow. The, the, mm-hmm. the point is, is that we we have to think about the future. And I think what the Biden administration in the United States was doing was thinking about the future, and what China was becoming a little bit arrogant, and, and they're falling behind, and the United States is pulling ahead at the moment. I think. And the more we we invest outwards, the more the bigger our return on investment is going to be. We're gonna be we're gonna be doing great in the next. If we keep this up, we're gonna be doing great in the next year or two. We're gonna have we're gonna have all all the resources we need um, to kind of build to technologically uh, advance and continue to be an economic powerhouse. I think the only thing we're lacking on is is oil. And in order to to continue manufacturing, the United States still needs still needs the oil to manufacture all the green tech. But if the United States sees a way that they can somehow manufacture with little oil as possible, then so be it, as long as manufacturing costs are low. But in order to keep those manufacturing costs low and to keep everything, uh, of the cost of everything low at the moment, we're still oil dependent. So I think we need a, I think we still have still have some work to do, but this is, this is great. And I think the United States is a, on the right path. And eventually we're going to reach a point where we're going to be so well with different partners, even with partners with different ideologies, that this is that the United States is going to continue being a, a kind of the, the global global leader or global global economic leader, whatever people want to term the United States. Yeah. And I couldn't agree more with that. I, I, I hope the United States just continues on this path. 
But um, I don't have anything else to say. Well, thank you guys for listening. I hope this is informative on what the United States and our foreign policy towards China is is moving towards and our foreign policy economically uh, is moving towards. Yeah, every day it seems like I check the news and the United States foreign policy is, is changing every day. and yeah. For the better. State Department is doing a hell of a job. For sure. That, like that, that's, that's an understatement at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so thank you all for listening to this week's topic of the week, and we'll uh, see you in the next yeah, episode. Take care, everybody.